0: so as we come this morning I hope you are full of joy I don't know why well you had a good breakfast so that should be part of your joy but remembering what this day is about remembering that you are loved and you were cared for and this message is for you and if you do not know Christ today that by the end of this you would have a better sense of who he is and what he has done for you. So let us start. God put this big plan into place. This plan of salvation. This plan of this morning, of Friday, as we remember going back into Friday, what happened leading up to that day and then what happened on that day and then we come to Sunday morning and the difference from Friday to Sunday morning is immensely all the work was done Fridays but without the Sunday morning Friday was just a nice thing that somebody did for you took out your garbage you know, Mind your dog took care of your kids gave you some money that's where it stopped but it didn't stop on Friday. It started on Sunday. So we just take that into what this is about. This is the greatest event in history. One that can change your life forever. That is the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. You see that God accepted this perfect sacrifice for us. You see, Jesus was be- betrayed by us, forsaken for us. He was accused for us. He was punished for us. And he is resurrected for us. Says, Jesus just didn't pay your fee for punishment that you deserved. He took your place. Think of that. He took your place place and we will start this morning we start in Matthew 27 we'll back up a little bit to Matthew 27 in verse 65 and then we will continue in 28 and the first in the verses uh, 20 verses in 28 in this we will see that the things that Jesus said would come true about him dying and him rising and that they are reliable Two questions will come through this message. Another command will weave itself through the message. It applied back then, and it applies now. And see if you can pick it out as we go through these chapters. And this is Matthew's account of the events. One important note of this, Matthew was an eyewitness. Isn't it easier to believe something when somebody said, I saw it? I didn't hear about it, but I saw it. It changes how you think about it and if you believe it. We see here in chapter 27, verse 6-5, uh, backing up. Uh, we, take a guard, this is Pilate said, take a guard and go to the tomb and secure it as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secured by putting a seal on it, on the stone, and then they secured it With a a clay and posting a guard. And he said the seal was a cord that was strung across the stone, which I don't think would have really held it back much, but it was the clay that held it in place. So you could not move the stone without breaking the seal, which would know that somebody was there. And then they just went and put a guard on there just to kind of add to it. So then we go into. uh, We'll go into Matthew 28, 1. We read, after the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, and there's kind of two or three different Marys who could be at that moment, um, went to look at the tomb. They could not make the trip to the tomb until early Sunday morning after the Sabbath. They were at the cross, and they followed Joseph, the one who took Jesus' body and prepared it for burial, and placed him in the tomb. So they knew where the tomb was. So in Mark 16, and and in Mark 16, it explains that they went to the tomb to bring spices and perfume to anoint Jesus' body because they had to do it before the Sabbath, or after the Sabbath. They couldn't do it before the Sabbath. They had to do it after the Sabbath. So an anointing the body was like a sign of love, devotion, and respect. It'd be like bringing flowers to a grave today. One thing I thought about this when I was going through to it was uh, um, so they were heading to the tomb but they didn't know that the tomb was sealed or the guard was there. Then how were they going to remove the stone so they could do what they were planning on doing? Another thing that is curious is that was back back up a little bit, was this man, Joseph, who was a disciple, but he was also a religious leader, honored member of the Sanhedrin. And he asked Jesus, he asked Pilate for Jesus' body. He prepared it. And he offered his tomb. Interesting how some things that just fall into place without us even thinking that God had something to do with it. It would have been a great sacrifice to have a tomb prepared for me or you and then we just gave it away. And it's not just an easy thing to give at the time of a tomb of a carving out of a stone or a mountainside. It was something that you just couldn't whip up in three minutes and say, there you go, it's yours. It was something that was prepared. So back to the verse. There was a violent earthquake For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Now just for a moment, (laughs) think about, put yourself in that place. Would your heart be racing? Would you be not like the guards? but the angel said do not be afraid I don't think that line would have cut it <laughs> well, I think I would have been uh, it wouldn't have eased my situation I think I would have been in the camp of the guards but he continues and he to say for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified he is not here he has risen as he said so I should be able to get an amen on that That is a line that has thrilled every believer since the resurrection morning. He came to life. He did not stay where we thought or they thought he was going to stay, that he came to life. He arose. It's always interesting when we get moments. They kind of just go over our head. He arose. Who's the last, anybody in here seen somebody rise from the dead? We've had some people that have come, haven't quite been there and come back, and even if we have witnessed that, it was quite amazing, and I would say freaky a little bit, but anyways. He's come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly, then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Here they were just going to do a simple thing and then they were given a greater task. Sometimes we have these moments when we are just doing something simple and then God adds something to your plans. Are we going to receive it? Or are we going to deny it? What do you do? Push it off saying, that isn't what I came here for. That's not my gifting. But remember that if God put it at your feet, then he will give you the power to get it done. He said, now they had to go and tell his disciples, Jesus is alive, the the ones who deserted him in the hour of trial. But the angel's words held hope of renewal and forgiveness. They were directed to go to Galilee. This is what Jesus told them at the Last Supper. Can we relate to this? How many times have I deserted Jesus? Have not done what He directed me to do. How many times has God laid something on your heart? Go speak to that person. Go share something with that person. Go be with that person. And we just haven't. How many times have we been down into that spot where we think we've been abandoned? But this is where God's grace brings us back into the fold, into his fold. He says, wow, what a moment. Again, one of those moments that God put into his plan. He timed the angels' appearance to line up with when they arrive, the earthquake at the exact time that the earthquake had to be there to move the stone. I find little things like that that we read in the Bible that we just read it over really quick. And we don't really take in what it was doing. Or I just walked down the street and then there was an earthquake and then this tomb opened up and then an angel appeared. Wasn't that a great coincidence? You know? No. So we go on another interesting thing here is that this is Matthew's account of what was going on and who were the first people to see to go to the tomb and see that Jesus wasn't there women what's no big thing about that they were there they witnessed him dying they knew where the tomb was at they went back but why is Matthew not, why did Matthew put that into it? He says, if you wanted confirming of Jesus being alive, would you start by using women? But this actually gives credibility and a persuasive force to this account because in no, in, in because no ancient person would use a woman as an official witness. By Jewish law, women could not do so. They couldn't testify for you in court. They weren't allowed to do that. So if I'm going to start a story that I want you to believe, am I going to start with people that you can't listen to? But Matthew put it in there to add credibility to how it was. Because why? Because that's how it was. (laughs) They were there. Next in verse 8 to 10, are we up there? So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. This revelation from God had filled them with a mixture of fear and joy, but they obeyed the angel's command. So what was this fear? Well, one thing was seeing the angel as we go back to the the beginning of God, the angel appearing. That would put fear into your heart. And he said, don't be afraid, remember? So he was there. Then they had to think about what would the guards do once they did come back to being present? Would they be running off? Would they be looking for them? Maybe. And then they had to go and tell the disciples. What would they say? Would they ask, why would he let you know and not us know? And they ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. Think about that. Jesus just popped in front of them like, hello. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, again, do not be afraid. Again, where would your mind be? Trying to believe what your eyes were seeing? Was your mind trying to justify? And are his words from the before starting to bounce around in your head? Or are you just blank and full of awe. I think I'd be a little bit from that one and probably the, the first part of trying to believe what my eyes were seeing. They are told what to do. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee where they will see me. So that's the part of it that they get Go. So now they're still trying to, I don't want to get my page right. They're still trying to figure it all out. But here they are still told something. Go. So we go off through this. So they go off and they're heading to go and tell the, uh, to go to find the disciples And just try to ponder that moment. Would you be shuffling your feet? Would you be hopping along, running? Would you be looking over your shoulder, wondering what was coming next? Because you've just witnessed Jesus. What else <laughs> what else could be there? So one of the words that Jesus used in his command was brothers, not to those so-called followers or any other word that would fit into those that ran away from him. Deserter is a word that comes to my mind. Brother was like saying disciple. It showed them that he had forgiven them, but also that he raised them to a new level of fellowship. They just weren't disciples. They were now into his fellowship, brothers. Jesus said for them to meet him in Galilee. He told them that in Matthew 26, 32, but I have risen and I will go ahead of you to go to Galilee. And and it says the same in Mark 14, 28. See, the disciples were hiding in Jerusalem, afraid of, this, of the religious leaders. The ones who would think you would be excited about this resurrection were the disciples. But they seen the tomb empty and walked away confused about the lack of a body. They needed concrete evidence, which they would get later on when Jesus appeared to them. But are we the same way? Do we need to see Jesus before we submit to his love? I like the story about the two believers who were walking to, um, away, from, away from Jerusalem, and Jesus came upon them. And it's in Luke 13 to 35. They were hopeless downcast, and they were heading away from Jerusalem, they lost their hope. They lost their focus, and they were disappointment, and their problems were amounting. They were withdrawing from fellowship of other believers. When we get preoccupied with our dashed hopes and frustrated plans, we must keep looking for Jesus in our midst, and we will experience the power that he can bring. I just think back over multiple years of being in, in this brotherhood and how many times I've lost focus. How many times did my life mean more and what was going in my life that mean more than what was going on in the body of believers? How many times was my story the story that I wanted to get out and not what Jesus was about? Poor me. Look at all my problems. You know the story, single mom, hardships going through that, married life, divorced life. The struggles within between your mind where you question why you're here and what you're supposed to be doing. And then you have other issues of trying to be in leadership of the church and trying to guide and strengthen and lead and try to follow God and feel like it's not going the way I wanted it. It's not going the way I think it should go. So therefore I should just step away and let somebody else try it. But God usually comes around and gives you a gene which attests to this, a swift kick somewhere every now and then. And, um, And you refocus and you start to take in this grace of God again. so we go through but Jesus does what he was all about doing changing lives from hopelessness to hearts feeling love these two after having this conversation with Jesus their hope had been confirmed and their doubts disappeared and another part of this witnessing so this is Another part of this witnessing. This is in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. It says, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. And this is building on top of Matthew's account. That the evidence that he was sharing was true. So we get into verse 15, 11 to 15. So while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that, they had, that had happened. When the chief priest had met them, the elders devised a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will, we will satisfy him and we'll keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed it says, and this story was been widely circulated among the Jews for to this very day. Jesus' resurrection was already causing a great stir in Jerusalem. A group of women was moving quickly through the, the streets looking for the disciples to tell them the good news that Jesus was alive. And at the same time, a group of religious leaders was plotting to cover up the resurrection. The religious leaders' worst fear had been realized. Jesus' body had disappeared from the tomb. Instead of even considering that Jesus' claims had been true and that he truly was the Messiah, risen from the dead, the leaders decided to bribe the soldiers in order to explain that Jesus' disciples um, came during the night and stole the body. Now, one thing we have to remember is some of us are pretty sound sleepers. And you can get up and say, did you hear the thunder I heard this morning? Did you hear the thunder and lightning last night? Not in my neck of the woods. <laughs> Whether it was or wasn't, I didn't hear it. But to roll away a stone and not be noticed is a pretty sound sleeper. They didn't think it through much. The disciples already ran away after his arrest. So why would they risk a return at night to to a guarded and sealed tomb? That offense would get you the death penalty. And then if they did, would they take the time to unwrap his body? Because remember, the cloths were still in the tomb. So if I was trying to do something really fast just to get out of there, I'm not going to probably be very neat and tidy and, and just leave things around. And we just like, whoosh, we're gone. So that's the second part. And then, and then if that was true, wouldn't the leaders be out trying to arrest the disciples in order to prosecute them? Never did. And if the guards were asleep, how would they know what happened? What was going on in your house at 3 o'clock in the morning when you were sleeping? Anybody? Yeah, Katie would know. I was sleeping with one eye closed and the other one open because I have kids sitting here going, eh, and I want something at 3 o'clock in the morning, or in our case, our dog. But it's a thought process sometimes fairly simple so if the guards were asleep how would they know so a bribe was in order for sure so we go to Matthew 16:20 then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told him to go when they saw him they worshiped him but some doubted still really Really? <laughs> really, You've, you're doubting. But maybe they were like Judas. They believed who he was, but not that they didn't believe, but maybe that they just didn't like what he was, how he was going about it. Judas believed who he was. But he just didn't like the way things were going. Wasn't his plan. Why is he leaving? Why hasn't he changed the rulers? We lose focus every now and then, but we must remind ourselves of the resurrection. That's Pastor J.D. Greer. Said to uh, so instead of doubt is, instead of doubting the resurrection and if it happened, use the resurrection to make you doubt your doubts. Think about it. When things don't go right, we doubt that the resurrection actually happened. But why don't we use the resurrection to doubt our doubts? Again, interesting. So we say, Jesus, I don't know how to explain it right now. But I I know if the resurrection happened, I understand that there is an answer somewhere. And one day, I will understand it. Changes your whole point of thinking. One of the explanations of faith is when the unexplainable meets the undeniable. The undeniable is the resurrection. We've had witnesses all through these verses. The unexplainable is the questions that we have today, the whys and the how comes. verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said said, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. God gave Jesus authority over heaven and earth. And on that basis of authority, Jesus told his disciples to make more disciples as they preached baptism and taught. And Jesus is still telling us to share the good news. But listen. Listen the good news is only good news to someone if they hear it before it's too late think of it you can't tell somebody after they've gone about the good news of Jesus Jesus up to this point had sent his disciples to, the, or disciples to the Jews and now their mission was for the whole world. Jesus is the Lord of the earth and he died for the sins of the people of all nations. Remember, Jesus was betrayed by us, forsaken for us, accused for us, punished for us, and now is alive in us. And he is working through us. So Jesus' resurrection is the key to the Christian faith. Why? I'm glad you asked. Just as he promised Jesus rose from the dead, we can be confident, therefore, that he will accomplish all he promised. I'm not going to say one thing and do you all here and then lie about everything else. Jesus' bodily resurrection shows us that the living Christ is the ruler of God's eternal kingdom, not a false prophet or an imposter. That we can be certain of our resurrection because he was resurrected. Death is not the end there is a future life. And the power that brought Jesus back to life is available to us to bring our spiritually dead selves back to life. The resurrection is the basis for the church's witness to the world. Jesus is more than just a human leader. He is the son of God. And if we think of all through this, if this was a lie... Would I be willing to die for it? Am I going to go to my grave on a lie? We lie about things that may get us you know, more money, popularity, fame, taxes, you know. But the lie on this story that you knew was going to get you killed. And if you look at all the apostles, John, and even at that, they just didn't go off and sail into the sunset and have a great life. They were taken out. And not too kindly. But they went with the truth on their tongue so this first command that was weaved through that weaved itself through this message was to go the angel said to Mary go Jesus said to Mary go Jesus said to the disciples and the believers as he, as he rose go Jesus is saying to you today go this good news is no good if it's in your back pocket if it's this little I have it in my pocket this little coin the cross in my pocket (laughs) it's no good sitting in there it's a reminder to me of what Jesus did but if that's all it is is in my pocket then the world has no hope it's our responsibility as Christians of today is to tell the people of today that Jesus is alive and he has a plan for them and a purpose for them so this is the thing that first command that weighed us in but the question is I guess is how will we respond to this message of great sacrifice and love How will I respond? Will you dismiss it like it never happened? Like you're taking this eyewitness belief and just saying I don't believe it? Or will you let it move you to worship? Are you willing to open your life up to others to share what you have? This message, grace. Love, caring. One of the things for uh, knowing how much you love is how much are you willing to sacrifice. And my sacrifice is just coming here on Sunday morning and then Monday to Saturday, there's no, not much love in that. For this was not an option to share the gospel. This was a command. How can I keep such a message to myself? May Jesus' light shine through me. For the world needs his family show we care worship worship him today by letting him guide your path by his amazing love and if you are outside of this life are you willing this day to trust Jesus with your life to, to surrender to his love and his mercy and his grace. We have seen through this passages of his commitment to us through this Easter weekend, his commitment to us, what he was willing to sacrifice, how much love that was. We've seen how he rose to give us that hope, to know that we will do the same as believers are we going to be committed to Christ and his message are we going to show the world our love our sacrifice are we going to go step out on that step of faith that step of scariness that step of boldness believing that the Holy Spirit is guiding our steps and will give us the words to speak and the love to touch those that are in desperate need of his love. This is Easter weekend. This is the weekend that we celebrate every year, like our communion that is coming up in a couple minutes. Something that Jesus put in place. The Last Supper. Maybe for some, the Last Supper will be the Last Supper. Because I do not know who Christ is and what he's done.